0: According to a recent, uh, most recent uh, WEX uh, status of women entrepreneurship report, that men are four times more likely to access funds than women entrepreneurs. Um, And women's business interests are often perceived to be riskier because they're smaller and they may value sustainability and social goals over profit.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Denton's. We are the largest law firm in the world with offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries available to support you everywhere you do business. We are a law firm that embraces change and can help you grow, protect, operate and finance your organization, which is why Denton's is organized to offer more than just legal insight. We're here to help you find business solutions in a seamless fashion across the globe. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Anita Kemp and Dr. Amanda Williams from the Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub. Welcome Anita and Amanda. It's great to have you with us.
2: great to be here. We're excited to speak to you today. Well,
1: we are excited to dive into this riveting topic. Before we jump into it though, can you each give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself, your, your history, and how you maybe met to talk about this
2: project? Let's start with you, Amanda. Sure. Well, hi everyone. My name is Dr. Amanda Williams. I am a faculty member at Mount Royal University in the Faculty of Business and Communication Studies, and I teach on the Communication Studies side. So you might think, given that I am writing about things that, um, that connect to business, I would be found on the business side, but I actually do teach Communication Theory and Media History um, and Research Methods. Um, What brought me to this topic and brought me to working with the Women's Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub is I'm very much interested in uh, the entrepreneurial ecosystem and the opportunities that it creates for marginalized group in groups, including women and youth. And I work um, on a global data set called the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor. It is collected every year um, in various economies across the world. And I am one of the key authors of reports. So I've written. Canada report, an Alberta report, I wrote a comparative youth report, Um, and we just did a really interesting study a couple of years ago on entrepreneurship in Western Alberta. So we sampled a little bit more in those provinces right before COVID hit, and we just collected a sample of over 6,000 Canadians who will be talking about entrepreneurship. as we come out of COVID, so this past fall. So we'll be analyzing those results. And I write about it mostly mostly from the youth perspective. I'm very interested in that because that's the demographic that I teach. at Mount Royal. So um, I was asked by our Dean at the time of our faculty, Dr. Liz Evans, she is now the provost, um, if I would like to be involved with the Women's Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub um, because of my research in that area. And that brought me to working with Anita, which is one of the highlights of what I do on a, uh, maybe hourly, daily, or weekly basis. Uh, you can pick All any the of up. those things. Yeah, absolutely. And from a scholarship perspective, I'm also very much interested from a communication perspective on... Um, stereotypes associated with women, how they're represented, how we talk about women entrepreneurs, because we have quite narrow visions of that. So that's part of what really links my interest in these issues to the work I teach as well, and the work I do with students um, in our communication uh, school, because they are journalists, uh, broadcasters, info designers, and public relation practitioners of the future. So I have a great opportunity to share some of those insights and bring them into the classroom.
1: Well, that's super exciting. And we look forward to some more perspectives from that demographic, from that lens that you bring when we get into uh, our questions. Anita, how about your background?
0: Okay, follow that, right? Uh, so yeah, my background is a little bit different, um, but um, hopefully my story will will align the paths of of how we work so well together. Um, so I'm the Alberta uh, program lead, based out of Mount Royal University for the Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub. Um, let's call it WEC from now on. Sounds great. Keep it short. Short and sweet. So um, my background uh, is, was um, mainly in um, finance and investment management. So I, I'm my a CFA charter holder. Um, did, I mean, worked in that industry for a number of years and then um, actually ended up quitting that corporate world um, and going on a fairly new journey myself. Um, and I uh, started a master's degree in organizational psychology, um, started my own kind of coaching business at the same time and uh, Working with women entrepreneurs and those looking to um, to start their own business, um, but my dissertation uh, was uh, got me onto looking at entrepreneurial motivation and intentions. So I was curious on going on my own entrepreneur journey as well as studying uh, this space was to just try and figure out like, what makes somebody take an idea for a business and then act on it. And then not only act on it, but keep going even through all the struggles that nearly all entrepreneurs go through. Um, And so that kind of, that that curiosity um, for entrepreneurship and what makes people tick in that space, as well as kind of starting to look at the the systems and the ecosystems that this WEC role has brought for me. Um, And that's kind of one of the reasons I took on the role was really to combine that um passion for for working and supporting women's entrepreneurship and as well as as conducting the research around it and that's really kind of what uh brought me to WEC. and if you'd like i can share a little bit for the listeners as to what WEC is what yes. it's about
1: okay. yes absolutely
0: so it's you know it started back in um early 2019 um the women's entrepreneurship knowledge hub it officially launched it's part of a federally funded program that was created as part of the Women Entrepreneurship Strategy. Uh, At that time, it had funding of $9 million over three years. That three years kind of ended this year, but there's been subsequent funding um, for another $4.2 million for the next three years. Um, It's being led out of uh, Ryerson University, the Diversity Institute, um, along with the Brookfield Institute and the Ted Rogers uh, School of Management. And there are 10 regional hubs. So we're the Alberta hub out of MRU, but there are 10 hubs in total across Canada, and uh, networking with over 250 partner organizations. And our small but mighty WEC team at MRU right, includes Dr. Elizabeth Evans, Dr. Amanda Williams here, and myself. And we focus on building partnerships with organizations, conducting and sharing research, Looking at the definitions and benchmarking data on women's entrepreneurship, like what's working, what are some of the promising practices, what are some of the gaps, you know, and then, as Amanda already said, challenging the stereotypes of entrepreneurs, right, by sharing Mm -hmm. more of the success stories of women owned businesses, we did a mini podcast series, like just five episodes last year, um, women redefining entrepreneurship in Alberta. And so we, you know, we have ongoing projects. Amanda just completed one with uh, students on visual storytelling uh, for Indigenous women entrepreneurs. So there's a couple of uh, recent projects. So we've just spent the last three years building um, a community engagement and support within Alberta's innovation and entrepreneurship ecosystem, and it's brought about some really meaningful relationships and opportunities. To collaborate and partner with several organizations. And that's a good segue into our, our study that we we'll want to share with everyone today.
1: I am interested in the in the fairly recent report that that you have co-authored and shared around uh, the sort of the state of women entrepreneurship and you studied or your focus of that study seemed to be on crowdfunding probably as a method of incentives and I wondered if you could start by telling us how you chose crowdfunding or how you how that was the most interesting part for you and what you know, what, why that? Because there's obviously in the, in the world of entrepreneurship, there's so many different things that you could pick. Why was that the salient uh, item that, that you've zeroed in on?
0: So I think could just take like a step back um, yeah. to, to just kind of give you a little bit more of a 30,000 foot view yeah. right? it's long been known right that women entrepreneurs are facing significant barriers when it comes to accessing financial capital for those yes kids, right um you know and some of the primary reasons um that, that that's been cited for the, the significantly low number of women-owned businesses in Canada right I think the recent stats Canada was of SMEs are women owned. Um, And according to our recent, uh, most recent uh, WEX uh, status of women entrepreneurship report that men are four times more likely to access funds than women entrepreneurs. Um, And women's business interests are often perceived to be riskier because they're smaller and they may value sustainability and social goals over profit. Um, So we wanted to kind of take a look at this closer, but one of the um, interesting findings we found with crowdfunding, and we'll kind of, there's another piece, and I'll let Amanda talk to that about our relationship with ATB, was, um, uh, it wasn't us that discovered this, but we discovered some, we were shown some research already in place where it showed a paradox, right, when it comes to women, women accessing capital for their business. So a report by PwC in 2017 found that women were outperforming men when it comes to meeting exceeding their funding targets in rewards-based crowdfunding campaigns, it's the only space where women were raising money—that's interesting—more than men, right? So that's kind of um, that you know that that came to us through through the partnership with ATV and why they um, created the Build Her Business program, and I'll let Amanda talk to that. Yeah, I
2: mean, they, uh, with this PwC report, they'd studied, I think, 450 campaigns, and they discovered women are 32% more successful in reaching their target, which was, for us, I mean, as a researcher, you always like something that box the trends a little bit, yeah. so that makes it quite interesting, and that really served as the inspiration for why um ATB started their program. So that report was released in 2017. And then in November, 2018, ATB launched the Build Her Business Program for Women Entrepreneurs. They already had a crowdfunding platform Um, that was not um, geared exclusively towards women using it. It's called their Booster R platform, but they decided to experiment a bit with this space um, and and use this platform to develop this um, uh, exclusive cohort-based program for Alberta-based women-owned businesses. Um, And basically through the process, women entrepreneurs could raise funds from a digital crowd who, in exchange for financial support, got a um, non-monetary reward. So that's why it's called rewards-based crowdfunding. So essentially women um, set out some rewards and some targets and some things like that, and that if people want to contribute to... um, to them meeting their target, they can receive one of those rewards. And of course, people probably know, um, maybe not Builder Business, but they might know Kickstarter or Indiegogo or various platforms like that, that operate in the same way. This, of course, though, is a little bit different because it is exclusively program and cohort based. And um, so they've been running um, the program for the last four years. And we thought it was a really um, exciting thing to study because it would allow us to unpack a little bit of the dynamics that were there. Um, And we did, we were really curious um, as to why women were outperforming men and there were sort of four already existing ideas out there um, in, in the literature. And one was, um, women are just better at setting measured and reasonable targets. So they tend to maybe under-promise and over-deliver yep. as opposed to their male counterparts. Um, This is probably, as a communication specialist, my favorite sort of finding out there. It's women's power as storytellers. And the idea here is that typically in other access to finance tools, the business case is how you tell your story. And men tend to outperform women in writing or presenting that context or the bias that people that judge those business cases bring to that favor a lot of things, um, sort of male-dominated kinds of businesses. Um, stereotypes also play a nice role here. Women are typically seen as more trustworthy than men. So so in that sense, that's probably also connected to that first one with setting measured targets and reasonable um. Uh, reasonable sort of benchmarks. And then there's some really interesting work. We had a wonderful student that worked with us on this as well, Anna Reimer. Um, She was a fourth year uh, human resources student who did a lot of research. And this was the part she was just so fascinated by. It's a concept called homophily which is the desire, and it's not just gender-based, it could be any kind of interest-based group, the desire that a like-minded community will be attracted to supporting each other so that if women are coming to this space, they are more likely to support other women because they want to, to create these supportive um, and wonderful spaces to, um, to build each other up. Um, So those were the sorts of things that were out there already as potential explanations and we really wanted to use our research as a way to explore that further. Because most of the work that had been done had been done sort of in a quantitative nature. So sort of survey or just an analysis um, post-campaign of data that was out there without actually speaking to specific entrepreneurs or, or exploring sort of how it worked and the benefits to them. So it was sort of with quantitative data, you're you're doing content analysis often after the fact. And hey. we really wanted to go a bit deeper and speak to you entrepreneurs and program designers themselves so that's what we really aim to do in our study
1: that's um that's very fascinating um, I have a num I work primarily with women entrepreneurs who are growing and scaling their business and all of what you've talked about the barriers in terms of access to capital and the challenges all of that resonates and I see that every day with my clients who are trying to find ways to access capital and trying to grow their business and and uh, you know, women businesses can be very different from male oriented businesses, and therefore the ways that they uh, proceed to access capital can be very different. And so some of those things resonate. And at the end, after I've asked you about some of the findings, I I will give you my little assessment of, of my subset of clients who have participated specifically in Build Her Business. And uh, maybe we can compare notes in terms of what uh, my completely anecdotal um, evidence shows compared to the the analysis because I think it's um, I think it's fascinating and the the four elements that you've that you've mentioned as sort of the the leading theories uh, before you started your research certainly have come up in in different ways not not all of them all at the same time um, but it's it's interesting that that is also the uh, I guess the prevailing thoughts as you as you went into it so let's dive into some of the, so you, you've given us the landscape and you've sort of set the stage in terms of what was out there. So you
0: went and you did this research and you collected some, some data. W- what did you find? So in 2019, nearly six and a half billion crowdfunding campaigns were recorded worldwide. And this is expected to double by 2023. And by 2030, it's expected that the global crowdfunding market will grow to 300 billion us dollars and that's up from 1.5 billion us dollars in 2011. i just kind of want to give you know and that's all crowdfunding there are are different types right you know in terms of you know it's it's a it is it's an innovation and a disruptor in and of itself and when we talk about financial technology and people not quite sure where crowdfunding fits in that space just want to set the stage of the potential size of this market for for funding.
1: And the and the potential for it to continue to grow in the next several years, which is what makes it particularly relevant for women entrepreneurs in particular.
2: Yeah, and we fun. were, we were, just to give a little bit more context to we were really interested about it, about crowdfunding both as an innovation. Yeah. Where is it innovative? And by innovation we define it very broadly in the literature as the capacity to create sort of a new process a new product or a new practice. Um, And we also really wanted to explore that potential for disruption. Um, And in particular, there's um, generally three ways you talk about building capital, which is social capital. So your networking, your human capital, which is more your skills, and of course your financial capital, which is money. And so that's really what we wanted to do. We did um, semi-structured qualitative uh, interviews with entrepreneurs and program providers. Um, So we had 13 past participants from the program and seven internal ATB um, participants, and we were really interested in their motivations around the program, how they defined entrepreneurship, the advantages, um, their lessons learned, where they saw future opportunities. So that really framed our findings. Um, and of course, we did find that it was an innovative activity. Um, and we did find so much of the dialogue was not just about financial capital disruption. Right. So we, we looked at it in terms of innovation, and new ideas, products, processes, financial capital disruption, social capital disruption, and human capital disruption. So I can run you through those kind of quickly if you want. Um, That would be great. So I'll start with, with the innovation. So, I mean, this is probably the theme that came up the most was just that it's a wonderful way for idea and product validation throughout all phases. Um, And the interesting thing too, it's also maybe even if your idea is not good or you're not quite ready, it can serve various roles for different women at various phases in in their business. Um, The platform itself and the process, it being um, cohorted, it having a specific start and end date, um, it being marketed um, in a particular way by ATB is also quite innovative um, from an organizational perspective. And then we actually, the part I guess that it makes sense, but I hadn't thought about it um, until we did this research, was we saw a lot of innovation occurring for women with their ideas and their processes post crowdfunding. So they learned a lot which they were then able to transfer to their business. um, And it really changed who they became as entrepreneurs um, sort of post campaign. Mm -hmm. That was, I think, one of the more interesting things that we found.
0: Yeah, and just kind of going back to the idea or product or service validation, right? It's, you know, they were able to come to the crowd during that campaign process and the feedback from the crowd is it was that validation you know, am I bringing the right product to market? Am I bringing that they were able to, without very little initial investment of their own, get that uh, validation. So, you know, you hear a lot of terms in the startup space, the lean startups, right? The get your minimum viable product out there, do your customer discovery, right? And this is this is the platform when you, that you could hear that kind of, <clears throat> maybe not in that direct um, startup speak, but you that is really what it, so a failed campaign, um, was innovative in and of itself, is because it was a way to, to be able to stop or maybe bring a prototype, test that out, stop, re- rework, you know, so a fail campaign can be just as valuable um, as a successful one from the perspective of innovation. That's very interesting and that
1: relates to some of the anecdotal things that, that I have seen and, and clients have reported to me. Um, in terms of that, you know, failure, and I use that term a bit loosely. So I think what you're talking about is that a failed campaign from an economic perspective. So if financially you didn't hit the target, let's say, let's say you set the target at 5,000, and you didn't hit that target, it still could have been a successful campaign from a social capital perspective, or from a human capital perspective, where you may have formed, like found some other people to help you refine your idea, help you get the word out, make some connections with, with you know strategics, those kinds of things. And so while maybe the impetus was from a financial capital perspective to participate, the, the consequential uh, effects, even if you failed from a financial perspective, you still may have gained something on the social human capital perspective. Is that, is that what, what you mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But also on the financial capital, that they're not putting a ton of more money into it. Correct. Right? As well as so kind of as the other side, if they're not, you know, they may have a strong belief in what they're delivering and they're getting, they're learning from the crowd. Of and, course. I mean, you know, if they still believed in it and there's a way to come back, you know, you don't, this was one crowdfunding campaign, but that experience, which we'll get to on the human capital piece was you know, running future campaigns, that ability to do it. But yeah, you're right. There's, you know, if the crowd, it, with particular with crowdfunding, you set a target, a financial target, and once and it, so it has a specified time period when it ends. And if you don't hit that target, yeah, that's not um, considered a successful campaign in in the crowdfunding speak. But
1: yeah, right. I was going to ask you um, in so in the example Anita that you were talking about, you know, you're, you, there's all this 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 lingo around go, go get your minimum viable product and you know test this and and maybe your MVP is crap. Like maybe it isn't what you expected it to be. Maybe the product market fit is isn't good. There's lots of reasons why it might not be a, a home run that that so many entrepreneurs are expecting, and they are they are just shocked that you know that perhaps that product market fit wasn't there. But when Amanda, you were talking about how uh, g- very generically that crowdfunding can be used along the life cycle. So if if we do that very early on and we say, oh that that wasn't a fit, that wasn't that it wasn't the home run that I thought it was going to be, but I learned a bunch of a bunch of things that allow me to modify, that allow me to pivot. Theoretically, you could participate in a subsequent campaign to then validate your, your pivoted product, again, in a fairly low-risk way, not a lot of capital, and still sort of advance it in a way that... You, you don't necessarily need to think about it as oh one and done and that failed so off I go I should go back to my little Kate right and that's what I hear a lot from entrepreneurs is this gives me the opportunity to test to validate to pivot to refine and then to be able to do it again uh, and and you know and see and see where it goes whereas you don't you don't have that like real life lab uh, to be able to do that in a in a inexpensive way in other forums.
0: And that's where you hit the inexpensive, right? The low risk, low, low cost approach right. To it, right? And that kind of came up through when we started looking at, you know, the disruptive practices around access to financial capital, right? Was that, you know, it? Um, this was a this is an opportunity. This is an, a, you know, the pre-seed stage, right? To be able to access money, right. not tapping into your credit cards or your line of credit. Or your your angel family and friends, um, you know, to support you. So that came up um, uh, in the interviews as well, as well as you know rec- that they recognized that they they face barriers as women entrepreneurs, right? And so they as well they knew that this this approach um, was innovative in and of itself and was a way for them to navigate through the barriers away from the traditional approach to to go into a bank for a loan, right? So they talked about that as knowingly they, they knew the system was almost right. kind of set set against them. And the other aspect was around the financial capital was you know that they were during the campaign like they were raising brand awareness, right? So it, in a and this is that yep. storytelling um piece that you know they had to kind of make videos and um and and social media so they had to make brand awareness. So you could call it pitching, but it was essentially storytelling their their business. And that was having an impact on how much money they were raising? They also, I mean,
2: there's that little bit of healthy competition, right? In the most positive of ways, but, um, they really like, they're looking at other campaigns. They're looking at other reward structures. They're potentially collaborating. There were some collaborations across campaigns with rewards. Um, so there was so much sort of, um, cross-pollinization of ideas and sharing in quite a supportive way. Right. Um, And the other thing I wanted to draw attention to is you can structure crowdfunding campaigns in different ways. So you can kind of have a keep it all or you where you um, no matter what you raise, you get to keep it. So even if you don't meet your deliverable or you can have one where unless you meet your targets, you are returning the money and you are going back to the drawing board. Um, in that sense so no one gets their rewards the money all goes back to those that donated because you didn't meet your target Um, and ATB has experimented with both of those and particularly in something like the context of COVID they really wanted to give women any money they could give them so that's where they you know switched it to the keep it all like if you get it you keep it and um, you know but and and there's different motivations that may drive um, uh, folks in that case, but I don't think that ultimately mattered as much as um, just the really strong um, human and social capital dynamics that these women spoke about. Um, right. uh, you know, and and also internal employees had a little bit of an idealistic version that it would sort of that it could be the panacea for solving, right. you know, uh, that democratization of capital sort of idea. Um, But I felt like the women were a little bit more savvy around that. They didn't see it as that so much as just um, um, a place to try something a little bit different in a very supportive um, and collegial environment. That's That's very interesting and also very consistent with
1: what my clients have reported in terms of their experience was that it was very collegial and it was unexpectedly uh, relationship enhancing so they they related to the challenges or the lessons that you know their their friend may have learned and their you know their other people in the cohort may have learned lessons from from them right and and i think that that was an unexpected uh perk where people might have thought well I'll just i'll just sign up and i'm looking at this really from my perspective but a lot of them are now doing business together, are now collaborating, are now you know sharing ideas, um, which I think is a, a great unexpected um, consequence of of that that model that cohort model.
0: Yeah, and I think you know for the for the participants it was probably unexpected, but for the the ATV kind of like the building and create the intention was to offer this wraparound support because if they were just running a booster campaign for women entrepreneurs and away you go, um, you know, they, they, the wraparound support allowed for that kind of access to social capital with each other. Right. And it also enhanced their own social networks. During the campaign. It's like, you know, I was contacting old friends. I was contacting old, old, old um, co-workers um to support my campaign. So it strengthened their existing ties that they had. It created new ties with their community um, of, of uh, their cohort um, and also with the bank too, right? They yeah. developed relationships with the people within the bank that um, they could leverage beyond, beyond the campaign.
2: Yeah. And we have our favorite quote, because there's always when you do research, there's always that like one gem quote where
0: you're like, oh, they said
2: exactly what we wanted. It was amazing. We had this one. I like the idea. This is from one of our participants. I like the idea of participating in something that's specific to women so that we can help lift them up. Once they lean in, they lift up. And I think we could teach so much in the whole world just by how women work together when they do it. And again, this was really um, just um, that, that beautiful spirit that came out of feeling like you were part of something and wanting to cheer each other on in a really positive, supportive way. Can you tell me something or some things that surprised you
1: about the findings that were maybe unexpected from when you when you went into it and what you learned. Was there anything that was surprising about the findings?
0: I think I think like the emphasis on the on the validation. As well, yeah. like idea validation, the te- like, like that came up so much, and not only just for the participants, but for the it was like across the board. Like I could see, like ATB, you know, that was very strategic, you know, helping them test the products and giving them that validation. um But the fact that the women themselves recognised it fairly early on. in in the process. I think that was kind of a a, a surprise, you know, as we were kind of looking into our own definitions of innovation and enacting innovation and and that, you know, we went back into the data and it was all there, like in in their own language um, around around that. Um, So I think that was one of the one of the surprises. Yeah, and I
2: think um, for me, I really, um,
0: they gained confidence,
2: but they also really struggled with this notion of risk and challenging some of the internal stereotypes that they face in terms of the multiple roles they occupy as, um, you know, uh, potentially mothers, yeah. um, as uh community supporters as um, entrepreneurs, um, as women um, in sometimes male dominated industries. Um, So there was some really interesting work that was done as they were sort of of trying to negotiate through some of those kinds of things. And for me, one of the big takeaways I take from it is we often start our definition with um, money we still talk about how we will change everything. And, you know, if we do this, we'll bring this much more money into the GDP, we'll do this, like we need to get women in there. And we always frame it so much in financial language, um, because that is such a big barrier. But what this helped remind me is that that's not as important to women. And there are so many um, beautiful things that are not, quantifiable in terms of return on investment that can come from this entrepreneurial journey that women articulate in very powerful ways. Um, so so I think for me, it's just a reminder that it's not just about decreasing financial barriers, but it's also about reconstructing the value of having women in these kinds of workspaces, showing um, support, community building, Business building
0: with different
2: values right. uh, that aren't just about making profit.
0: Yeah, and I think as well, like on the, the third piece, of the human capital uh, disruption a piece of our findings which was really around that like increased confidence being out their comfort zone um, and you know throughout the campaign even just from videoing themselves or not having that you know so learning the new skills like their own financial expertise and like new marketing tools and strategies but what was really interesting was the recognition of what um, uh went to deck went to delegate right um so it's all you know mm. listening to them talk about oh i learned this i learned this but there were some women were saying you know what it was a tough this you know, i realized i was not good at social media and i didn't even enjoy it so you know what i did i hired someone to help you count. right right so that idea of like when you know if you're not good at something and but you really want to learn it then learn it but if you're not good at something and you don't and it's important to your business well for the, for these women it was important for their campaign it was like find someone who can do it so i think that 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 uh develop knowing that you can't do everything and recognizing that you know and as women we do kind of tend to think you know oh well, i'll just figure it out and i'll learn it um but when you've got a specified time and a right. campaign and a healthy competitive environment maybe um maybe you've got yeah. to let go. that's
1: that's fascinating and also very consistent with uh, some of the comments that I heard from women who participated in in a cohort, you know, in in a in a particular cohort over over the years that you were studying. Is they said, "Oh, I thought I could do this. I did my video. I did, you know, did all these things." And then you got to push this thing throughout the campaign. You've got to continue to market it. And I am overwhelmed because I'm actually running a business and I'm doing all these things. But this campaign was really important, and I wanted to get the best sort of bang for my buck to understand whether. I do have that product market fit, whether I do have that MVP. So I knew I had to go out for, you know, these three weeks or for whatever the time period was and really get somebody with some expertise in social marketing. Because if I don't have that, I knew the campaign would fail, but I didn't want it to fail because that was the skill set that I, I particularly, you know, I'm not particularly interested in or, or I lack. And then post campaign, whether, whether they met their target or not, many of them continue with those relationships. They say. Well, that social marketing worked perfectly. Why would I, why would I undo that now that I know that it works so well and it frees up time for me to focus on you know a, a different aspect of the business? So I think that that little push into the the time frame uh, around around the campaign really forced people to to make some decisions, right?
2: Yeah. And it helps them see value in that maybe they felt unconfident in exploring, but they were forced to just to, like you say, maximize their experience. And then they realize it's okay if I can't do everything. And this is a good investment in my business. Like if I'm going to put money anywhere, let's put it here because this is a place I know is valuable, but I'm not good at it, or I don't have the time, or it overwhelms me, or whatever, whatever it is. So, you know, and and you know, we had one participant who said, like, I almost structure my business, my quarters, like little mini, like, you know, crowdfunding of sorts right. of components, right? And that was something I think a little bit unexpected. I don't think ATB necessarily thought about it in terms of um the skills that they would take in terms of conceptual Conceptualizing their business more broadly and 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 transferring over those skills, um, but that's what an entrepreneur does. That's what makes them so gifted in terms of of uh, their creativity, their ability to apply. Um, solutions from one context into another and and really make use of it and we saw those um those learnings really apply here yeah,
0: and i think like the storytelling piece which is really kind of close to to uh, both our hearts on that was um what was interesting I think was one one participant when um uh during the social media uh campaigns of Putting her own videos of herself up, right, and posting them, and then kind of getting a little bit tired of it, so she ended up kind of switching to more like stock images, okay. stock. And saw her campaign kind of drop, and she noticed it. And then the minute she switched back to her own voice again and her own sort like story, her campaign drove up again. So again, you can look at that as you know, pivoting at, at innovation, you know, experimenting, and also showing experimenting and the power of storytelling, right? When oh, for sure. See the person kind of the business. I mean, it goes. But I think you're a podcast with uh christy wolf about digital storytelling right Uh, and that yeah, people want to hear the story of their business
1: yeah it's it's interesting one of one of the entrepreneurs that i work with that participated in this campaign um made a, a similar comment where she said you know i i i was looking at the other uh campaigns on the on the platform in the same cohort as me and you know i i looked through it initially and i i saw the service or the product and like, it, it just wasn't something that, that was applicable to me. It's just not a service or a product that I would need. So, like, why would I care? And then she said, but then we met with these, these people and we were all part of the same, you know, cohort and we were marketing and I heard her story. And of course I care. Like, I'm never going to use the service or product, but of course I care. And I want her to be successful because while it might not apply to me, I resonate with the story and I, resonate, I know people that, that would eat it up. I know people that it would apply to. But if I hadn't heard the story and I just saw, you know, a website or a social media post that advertised product X or service Y, I wouldn't care. But I, as soon as I heard the story, now I know why I need to care. And and I think that those those campaigns and those pitches, as you say, uh, give that opportunity to show why you care and why you should form a relationship with with that you know with that entrepreneur or with that that company. So. So that's really interesting. I have a very specific question and it, it, it um, pertains or it picks up on a comment that Amanda had made around this paradox or the, the interesting factor that you mentioned at the beginning about how women maybe do better than men in, in crowdfunding sort of, uh, you know, generically. And my, my question is, so, so let me give you a little bit of background, is I, uh, I think this happened at least twice Uh, and and for sure with one entrepreneur twice in two different years that she participated. And her comment was, uh, you know, I'm I'm a woman entrepreneur. I have a lot on my plate. I'm a mother. I'm a caregiver. I'm, you know, all of these different things, but I want, I want obviously my business to be successful and I want people, I want the optics. I want people to see me as being successful. And so in a campaign where you can choose your target, like maybe there's a a minimum threshold, but in a campaign where you can choose, you know, low level, medium level, high level, her comment was, I would never choose the high level because I would have so much more more chance of success at a lower level, so I'm just gonna set that, and Amanda, you sort of called that a a, a bit of a more reasonable expectation. And so do you think that part of the reason why men may not be as successful as women is because the the levels that women choose to play where they're playing is lower and therefore it's easier to like is there a way to to level that playing field and compare
2: apples to apples or is it not an apple to apple kind of comparison yeah, I think it's a hard one. It's I don't think it is an apple-to-apple apple comparison, partially because of the sectors um, and the businesses and the types of products, um, the types of motivations um, in terms of scale expectations, too, um, which are so different. So the motivations of male versus female entrepreneurs are often quite different. Um, so I think that um, that makes it a little bit more challenging So I think there is a confidence level, but I also like to think of it as women being far more in touch with their businesses than sometimes men are. And I think there's, Um, there's stereotypes on both ends that work negatively. Like, so for women, don't ask for money. We don't ask for money. That's not what we do. It's not polite, right? Those sorts of things. So there's those components which might drive them to set some of those lower targets. And for men, it's sort of like, if you set a low target, then it's not a success Right. Like, so we almost we already set out those benchmarks that create um, unreal. Men don't feel like they can be as authentically connected to their businesses um, because money and and so much of how we pass the lens on judging and evaluating those businesses tend to be on, you know, growth and scale and those kinds of things. Growth at
0: all costs. For mm-hmm, right. all costs. And I think, you know, again, like we're just making some assumptions here because we haven't looked at the data that's the, that this literature is sh- particular literature is showing as one of the reasons why um, maybe that maybe they're setting lower um, or more reasonable targets. But again, it's, you know, what can I deliver on? Because rewards right. based crowdfunding is I won't get my money unless I can actually deliver the rewards that I have promised. Right. So, you know, so it could be that, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not growing at all costs, that, you know, I have, uh, I have additional goals to just making money on this campaign that there are, but it doesn't come through as something you can measure, right? Like I want my business to have a social impact or an impact on my community. So there's so many other variables around that that we when you just kind of focus on, you know, am I setting the right level? Am I too low? Am I too high? And and it, you know, a lot of the driving factor could be that sometimes it's just like I'm just gonna shoot for the stars on this campaign. And if it works, it doesn't, whereas I mean, maybe more. Um, specific they have more a lot a lot more to lose if they're not winning these campaigns or or completing them so there's many things around it which when you see this that particular data that comes from quantitative now it's time okay let's go and dig deeper and actually ask, <laughs> right. let's ask right. women that are going through through that um, I'm just mindful of time and, um, there's, and we've gone kind of talked about our findings and, you know, and in terms of like what's next, um, because we, we want to make sure that people know that this is, you know, this is a single study, it's going to a point in time. Um, so, you know, while it does have a lot of benefits to add to the existing literature that's out there and the studies that um, we also want and Amanda touched on it earlier. This is not like the panacea. This does not let you know all the other institutions off the hook. Like you, you know, the gaps in venture capital, the gaps within financial institutions for access to capital for women. This is one area, and it's in rewards-based crowdfunding, and it's like that pre-seed stage. Um, So we want to make it clear that you know the wider implications um, of these, it's really important to know that this is available. We want women entrepreneurs to know this is an option for them to look at. We want other financial institutions. And support organizations to consider you know their programs being kind of more inclusive and diverse you know and to to even maybe consider crowdfunding because you don't have to be like atb They, they happen to have a booster platform but if we're in the uk NatWest bank had a very similar program called back her business but they didn't develop a crowdfunding platform they partnered with a with crowdfunder um and just and then created a program around it so you know we want like maybe consider this as an, an option um for a support organization or another financial institution and then also for like the policy makers out there I right guess. you know consider these new channels right for women entrepreneurs to accept access capital Right. And, and I think, Amanda, you talked about it earlier, like, take a more holistic approach, right, looking beyond the financial impact on the economy as being the primary contribution of more women-owned businesses. And, and to insist, these policies insist on metrics that demonstrate diversity, right? Um, you know, that, that I think that's important so, so that we can get the data as well on these programs. I, I, I think
2: one, that's... Sorry. And one other thing, too, that um, we're reminded sometimes when we present this is that there is a lot of work to participate in this. So again, the onus almost takes off the pressure of banks and other places putting in that work. Um, And and so to just be reminded that there is, and women are already um, time famished, um, you know, uh, carrying a lot of invisible workload, those kinds of things. So just finding that balance there.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's really insightful and important for women entrepreneurs and institutions that are working in the ecosystem supporting women entrepreneurs, including policymakers, as you say, to think about this as a tool in the toolkit, um, not the only one, but one that, as you as you've alluded to, uh, allows you to draw in some of those wraparound services and allows some of the other ancillary benefits besides p- the pure economic one. So, yes, it's rooted in access to capital. It's rooted in finding a financial solution. But there's so much else to it that, that some of the other, like alone, doesn't give you some of that social innovation. It doesn't give you some of that human capital. You know, it doesn't give you some of those other things. And so, at very early stages and, and at other times in, in a uh, company's life cycle as well, having the, the full meal deal and the opportunity for the support and for the cohort. And to understand that you're not the only one who maybe doesn't know how to use TikTok to you know create your, your platform or whatever it is, and that there's other, you know, that there's other women who are in your shoes, what a gift to be able to then, you know, launch your business with a group of supportive people around you. One of the, the comments that I hear very often from entrepreneurs is how lonely it is, how how it's such a lonely journey. And you don't think that someone understands because their business is different than yours. And 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 yet when they get together and they talk, they realize. Oh, he had an HR or she had an HR problem as well. And maybe what worked for them is going to work for me. Maybe I have to massage it a little bit because my industry is slightly different. But at the end of the day, you know, we all have sort of the same, the same issues. Where can our listeners read the full report? Find out a little bit more about your group and upcoming research, particularly if they're interested in participating in upcoming research
0: uh so um we'd love it if you put it in your show notes <laughs> if you do the okay. show notes we you can also get it in a slash research okay. um and uh we do have a, a wec alberta um web page on uh, mount Royal university and we'll be, we'll be putting it on there but if you want to find more research particularly the state of women's entrepreneurship the uh, the recent report um, that would be on wet.ca, uh forward slash research um, and yeah we're happy we ha- like if people want to reach out to us directly um, we can put our email in the show notes too and we'd be happy to talk uh, you know we have a couple of kind of potential research projects in the works um, we're we're really interested in the women in agriculture space oh interesting right now so that's one area we're looking at but definitely happy to, to and to, if people want to reach out to us and talk about the report like I'm more than happy um, to, share, to share more details. But I think we've done our very best to um, share the contents of the report but uh, yeah I'd, we'd love people to read it and, and share it. And we're also always interested
2: in partnering if if organizations are looking for ways to do research or looking for ways to measure some of these things or think about impact differently. We see that as something that we can offer um, as a, a support function in the ecosystem because we are part of uh, a university setting so we can apply for ethics and we can um, you know, consider the methods and and all of those key things in a bit more of a regimented way. That's a bit more removed for an organization. So not the typical sort of program evaluation approach.
1: Well, that's that's great. Thank you both, Amanda and Anita, for taking time today to chat with us. This has been really insightful, and I think our listeners will appreciate the depth of information that you've provided.
2: Our pleasure. Yeah, it was great to speak to you and we hope people will go out there and consider doing some crowdfunding and trying that out and and looking for those places and spaces, women, where they can connect with other women because um, the the benefits of it go far beyond the, the financial.
1: Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.